Itachi was a man of great conviction, selfless lifestyle, and humble loyalty to his people. He was a prodigy in the art of ninjutsu, and even at such a young age had what it took to be Hokage, a goal he shared with many in the village. The difference between Itachi and his peers, though, was that he could have achieved his dream if he was given the time. Circumstances and people of power stunted his growth and robbed him of his destiny by people merely treating him as a pawn to be thrown away. Was it fair? No. Did Itachi whine about it? No, he did not. A true shinobi to the core, he understood what it meant to be a ninja. But there are so many tragic things that result from this. While we know that Itachi had what it took to make it, had these skills and talents not seen but once in a generation, we also know that fate crapped all over him, catching in between conflict after conflict before deciding for one last screw you by giving him an incurable illness which would later claim his life. But one of the most tragic things about his life was his romantic life. Many of you don't know this, but Itachi Itachi was in love. Welcome to the Amagi! Before we begin, we publish a new video every day, so be sure to subscribe to our channel and ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos. Also, we just released some brand new merch. If you'd like to show your support for the channel even further while at the same time repping stylish clothing, be sure to check that out as well. The store is linked below. YouTube's been unsubscribing users from channels lately, so if you're a fan of us, please do us a favor and double check to see if you're still subscribed. It only takes a second and it helps us a ton here at Amagi. And with that out of the way, Let's get into the video. Itachi knew a girl from his academy days and beyond who was one of the few people besides his family and Shisui that he actually kept close by. Her name was Izumi, and while she was an Uchiha, she was only Uchiha on her mother's side. And because of that, they lived away from the clan until her father's eventual death during the Nine-Tailed Fox's attack. Her inability to protect him led to her awakening of the Sharingan at a young age, something Itachi admired. When her father passed, she, along with her mother, Hazuki Uchiha, decided to live in the Uchiha compound with the rest of the clan. While there, she, like so many other girls, developed an interest in the kind and gentle Itachi, and she measured herself up to him in every way, hoping to be as strong. But sadly, she could not keep up with his raw talent and slowly fell behind. This would hurt her feelings, and when Itachi dared suggest that she would stop troubling herself with helping everyone due to her weakness, she was only hurt. Of course, Itachi was not a mean child, he was just very blunt. He didn't like to beat around bushes or waste time when talking, having enough respect for people that he would just tell them the harsh truth from the beginning so they could cope quicker. The concept of ripping off a band-aid quickly. Even still, she loved him. It was all she could do. On many occasions, she was Itachi's confidant, helping him with issues and in turn being helped. There was one particular matter he refused to open up about. Upon becoming a genin, he was allowed into the Uchiha clan meetings, which resulted in him learning of the plot to overthrow Konoha. Izumi did not know as she was still in the academy at the time, but when she asked him what went on in there, he immediately closed off and refused to speak to her the rest of that day, telling her not to ask about it again. Of course, she would eventually come to learn herself upon reaching Genin level, and when Itachi and Shisui made it their goal to dissuade the Uchiha, Izumi was there too. She would follow him everywhere. When he was driven out of the meetings and accused of being a snitch and traitor, she would follow him out. He would tell her not to, as he didn't want her to be viewed as an outsider to the clan as well, but she stayed close by. She never knew what would happen next. Itachi did, though. Using not his Sharingan, but his own wisdom and intelligence, he saw it coming from a mile away. The Uchiha needed to be put down, and it was Danzo who commanded him to do it. On one cold night, he stepped into his clan's compound. A knot in his throat, a rock in his stomach, he allowed the one he dubbed Madara to deal with most of the military while he killed off the civilians. Was this a mercy of Toby's? Did he plan to take the hard part himself? 
Or perhaps this was some cruel intent to drive Itachi into accepting the curse of hatred by forcing him to murder women and children, his friends and his own family. Perhaps it was both. Ensuring Itachi would remain alive long enough to hate Konoha for what it had made him do. Of course, it was a surprise to be sure when he learned Itachi had chosen love instead of hate even when he had to kill Izumi, his childhood crush. Sneaking into her home, he found her there, cast her under Tsukiyomi, where he would carefully craft for his beloved a world where she would live happily forever with him, a world where they would marry, where she would bear his children, where she could peacefully pass in his arms at the ripe age of 80. It was an easy world for Itachi to create, after all. It was the one he had dreamed about himself for a long time now. And when she reached the point in her dream where she was dying in his arms of old age, he proceeded to kill her, with her merely awakening for a moment to thank her beloved for a life well spent. But I really hate this moment. I mean, it's so good in story, and it's a perfect moment to really round out and expose his character. But I just feel so badly about this tragic life he lives where he can't ever have anything without it being taken away from him. His clan, his village, his innocence, his love, his health. Everything keeps getting taken away from him, so for this one moment, I'm going to change this. I'm going to give him something. I'm going to give him Izumi and see how this maybe changes his life. So join me, will you? Let's stop this tragedy in the name of love and bring a little bit of sunshine back to the Weeping Crow. Our story starts that fateful night. Just outside the compound, Toby and Itachi meet up. This is it. The end of a weight that has been chained to my neck for far too long, the masked man said in the voice of Madara. Itachi was unsure how this man could be Madara. He had his suspicions that he wasn't truly the legendary shinobi, as his age would have come and gone a long time ago. But still, Itachi knew that there were many who had gained strange abilities and jutsu to extend their life beyond natural years. Orochimaru was one of them. If Orochimaru, the man who paled in comparison to Lord Second, could discover a way to live forever through leeching off of someone else, then how much more could a man who proved every bit Lord Second's superior do the same? The masked man stepped up to his side, just in Itachi's peripheral vision. Can you do it? Itachi looked over at the man. No expression could be seen from that mask, but the raising of hands showed hesitation in a misunderstood question. What I mean is, can you kill them all without remorse? I don't want your conscience getting the better of you and you leaving me high and dry. Itachi's eyes narrowed. I could worry about myself. You do the same. The man under the moniker of Madara crossed his eyes. Remember the plan. You take to the streets and slaughter them all. Every man, woman, and child. If it has eyes, kill it. I will pay visit to the police force. Itachi nodded. In that moment, his body turned to crows and he flew off. Toby was left standing there. Seeing the crows fly off, he scoffed within himself. He's not going to do it. In that moment, his eye began to let out a swirling pattern, not too unlike the drain of a bathtub as it swallowed up used water. He was pulled into his own dimension, and from there, he appeared in front of the police force's headquarters. At his side was a single katana, the same he had used in times past to kill the daimyo. Ironically, that had been the time that he first met Itachi. Itachi was one of the few to survive, and that was because he was smart. But that day troubled him, because not only was Itachi smart, he was soft. Toby mused that he had been the same in times past, and that it was the reason why this mission would be good for Itachi. Itachi was strong, so much so that Konoha's rules had been bent just to allow him to join the Anbu at an early age. This mission, staining his hands with the blood of those he loved only to be rejected by the village that had used him, it was almost too perfect. It surely would show Itachi the inescapable truth of the world and lead to his development of hatred, which would lead him closer to the Eye of the Moon plan. Itachi's eye was special. It was almost a sign from God that Itachi belonged under Madara, as Itachi's innate ability within his Mangekyo was a limited version of the ability that Tobi required through the Ten Tails to make his dream into a reality. 
As he stood there, the two guards up front witnessed him and called out to him, demanding to know his identity and intentions. Oh, I'll show you my intentions. He stepped forward boldly. In a flash, with a flicker of his body, that slowly stepping masked man was now standing behind the guards, his katana in a reverse grip, dripping with crimson blood, the first casualties of his slaughter. The men looked back, stunned by his speed. It was then that the deep cuts he had carved burst with blood and piercing cries of fear and agony as the men fell to their sides, the ghost leaving them before their knees ever touched the soil. Toby would switch his grip to the more common forward-facing blade. He would swing it to the side, slinging off much of the blood with centrifugal force before dragging the blunt of the blade across the inside of his bent elbow to further clean it before returning it to its saya still hanging at his belt. Reaching behind him, the clanging of metal could be heard as a chain dropped, his Mangekyo Sharingan glowing in the shadows of the dark. Passing through doors without even opening them, he left what happened next up to the imagination of the viewer. Elsewhere, Itachi had made it to the compound proper. The moon was rising. He stood perched on a utility pole like a crow. For years, the crow had been seen as an omen of death, its omen surpassed only by the vulture. Perhaps tonight Itachi was not a crow. Perhaps he was the vulture, a scavenging bird that killed the small and picked clean the carcass of what had already died. And tonight, everyone in the village was dead. They just didn't know it yet. Moving swiftly and quietly, like the angel of death, he passed through the village. The first place he would go was Izumi's home. She was the one he loved the most, and she was the one that he needed to kill first. She was his weakness. His mind was already working overtime, his heart bleeding from the actions yet to be taken. A strange manipulation of cause and effect, in which the effect was felt before the action was made. He knew if he didn't kill her first, he would not have the emotional fortitude to do so later. So he made it into her house quickly. Coming to her room, she noticed him, his eyes glowing in the dark. Itachi, what are you doing here? He didn't answer her, merely looking on from the darkness. For a moment, she thought she witnessed dark intent and hatred within those eyes, but upon closer examination, his eyes were displaying fear, like a child that had done something wrong and was waiting to confess to their mother. Tears welled up in those war-waging eyes. Itachi, what's wrong? A tear of blood dripped from his monkekyo. Izumi, I'm caught. She pulled him into a room, into the moonlight, to get a closer look at his face. Caught. How so? She immediately noticed his flak jacket and the blood-stained blade in his hand. Itachi? His cheeks pulled into a sorrowful expression. There's no other choice. I had no other choice. Was he trying to convince her, or was he trying to convince himself? Itachi, what's happening? Itachi opened his eyes once more, his sclera reddened by tears and strain from the quickly bursting blood vessels within his straining mangekyo. We couldn't stop the coup, and time ran out. I'm putting the coup down for good, by orders of his excellence. Her heart stopped for a second as her mind struggled to process this. Feeling the moment begin to return, she took a breath and continued. Is there no other choice? He nodded. If I kill everyone, my brother will survive. If I don't, we all die together. I have to save what I can. I need to save him. She grabbed Itachi's cheeks and pulled him into her kiss. Then save him, she said. Itachi heard that. For a second, he enjoyed the last kiss he would ever taste from his love. Gripping her throat, he pushed her back and raised his blade, his face displaying rage, the only emotion he could conjure that would give him the strength to do this. But as he did so, her smile caught him. What an honor. To die in the arms of the one person who means the most to me. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. She shattered his will with that simple phrase. In an effort to salvage this, he cast her under Genjutsu. He couldn't have her running around. Couldn't have her see it, hear it. 
He picked her up and gently laid her in bed as if this were any other night. Covering her up, he turned back. Exiting the room, he made his way down, trying to regain his nerve. He stabbed himself in the leg with his blade, a superficial wound, nothing that would stop his movements, nothing that would threaten his life, enough to flood his mind with pain and anger, drowning out his weakness. And with increased vigor and fury, he began to slice through them. The best he could do to maintain his sanity was to not see them as human. These were animals. He was a predator on the hunt. These were merely prey in the big game called the natural order. For him and his brother to live, they had to die. So that's what he did. The only time this illusion was shaken was when the children cried out for their mothers as the blade struck wrong. He tried to make it quick and painless, but on the rare occasions his emotions affected his accuracy, another piece of him died inside. Just another chip of his soul was carved out, becoming one step closer to being inhuman. It was then that he was sure that he had lost his soul. He had become a demon. And so this demon passed through the clan's compound like a cold wind carrying the scent of blood. Death. Stopping at his parents' home, he entered the dark abode. Stepping up to the highest floor where his parents were likely in bed asleep, he opened the door to see them kneeling in the center of the room in front of him. He was confused but for a moment until he realized that they knew what was going on. They didn't bother to ask him why or how, they just awaited their demise. And so Itachi brought it, only their words of encouragement, his father's declaration of pride in Itachi being enough to shake him. But by then, their fates were sealed. Suddenly, a presence was felt. He heard a gentle gasp. He turned around. There he saw Sasuke, standing, confusion on his face, tears boiling up in his large innocent eyes, sweat on his brow. He had seen this face on every child he'd slaughtered that night. What was one more? Suddenly, as he stepped forward, his sanity snapped back. Stop it. Please, no, anything but my brother, he cried out. The crow stood there and watched through his own eyes the look on his brother's face, as the man he used to be begged himself to remember why he chose to do this. In a moment of shame from nearly forgetting what he had done this for, Itachi almost cried. But he didn't. He held it together. He would put on a show. Hatred, he thought to himself. I deserve to be hated. I don't deserve Sasuke. I need to die. I want to die. Let him be the one who executes you, Crow. He shall bear the blade that ends your life. Go down in history as a murderer. Fade into hell and shame as the village celebrates the one who extinguished you. Make him hate you and make your brother the hero the world wants. Itachi gripped his brother and subjected him to the Tsukiyomi. Watch it. Every personality that had split off from the strain of this night shouted at once. Every personality but the true Itachi who cried out from the darkest depths of his soul for Sasuke to forgive him. Dropping Sasuke, he walked away. Sasuke then developed his Sharingan and raced towards him, intending to kill him. Having thrown Sasuke to the side, Sasuke opened his eyes for a moment to witness Itachi there. And in that moment, he saw tears. Not the bloodlust of the crow, but the tears of his brother, who at this moment wished to die. Itachi, in control of himself once more, walked on, leaving the compound. It was later that night, towards the turn of the morning, that the Anbu made their discovery. Lord Third had declared to them that they would go in and seize the Uchiha conspirators and end the coup peacefully. But it was already over, and Donzo had done it. Donzo had seen it and inside himself smiled with a sigh of relief. The Uchiha have gotten their just desserts. But who will give you yours? Was this himself talking or was it someone else? No, it was an interpretation. An interpretation from the view he saw in an eye from an Anbu mask standing before him. It was discovered that there were two survivors, Izumi and Sasuke. Danzo's eye narrowed further as the bandage over his right eye wrinkled. Don't touch them. She's a part of the deal now. Harm them and you will regret it. Suddenly, the Anbu member disappeared into a murder of crows. 
Donzo growled. Itachi. Hiruzen would then place Donzo under house arrest for his part in this, disbanding Root officially. Later that day, Itachi would approach Hiruzen. There, he would report two simple words. Mission complete. Hiruzen was disturbed by this. An unsanctioned mission by Donzo had resulted in this slaughter. If this reached the public, the pure brutality would be enough to destroy the village's reputation. Itachi was the fall guy, the scapegoat. That was Donzo's goal all along. Hiruzen wondered if he shouldn't just acknowledge this to the rest of the village, expose it all for better or worse. However, he found himself asking what Itachi would do next. Itachi would mention that there was a group that he planned to join to keep an eye on. He would make sure that they didn't make any real problem for Konoha. Hiruzen, in return, would promise to look over the survivors of the massacre, Itachi's treasured brother and love. Itachi would express his gratitude and begin to leave. Before leaving the village, though, he stopped by Izumi's hospital room. She was about to be released due to not having been harmed in any meaningful way. However, she stopped when she saw Itachi sitting in the windowsill. She turned around and walked to him. He looked tired. His eyes were half open, had dark circles around them, and he was as pale as a ghost. He looked as if he had aged 10 years since she saw him the night before. She walked to him. Itachi? He looked over. I'm sorry. She shook her head. Itachi, don't apologize for something you were forced to do. You followed orders. The guilt lies with the people who ordered it. He looked at her as if to challenge that statement, but remained silent. Instead, he spoke. Take care of Sasuke. She looked to him. Why don't you take care of him? He looked to her. I'm leaving for another mission. She was stunned. Another mission? Now? Can't you rest first? He was silent for a moment. Then he laid his head back against the sill and looked out over the village. I will never sleep again. She could do nothing else but look on with worry, knowing that somehow this guilt, this stress... This inability to sleep would catch up with him. Please, Itachi, think about your health. If you don't rest, you'll get sick. Itachi didn't look at her. Maybe I deserve to get sick. I pray that God punishes me for what I've done. She nearly slapped him. Don't say such a thing. He looked over. His gaze really showed an inability to care. She was almost in tears. I want to stay with you, she said. Itachi shook his head. I need to go. You need to stay. Watch over Sasuke. These are our rules now. She was silent. What if they come for us? We're the only survivors. Itachi shook his head. They won't. I'll be watching over you. She looked on, tears in her eyes. How? Itachi held out his hand as a crow bearing a Sharingan landed on his forearm. This is Wotan. He's a very special crow to me. He acts as my eyes when I can't be around. He'll watch over you and Itachi, and if you ever need me, know I won't be far. The crow then flew off. Anytime you hear the call of the crow, know that I'm there. He looked down for a moment, and then back up. In that moment, he felt like he was back in the academy. The same schoolboy who was too shy to tell her how he felt, despite knowing she reciprocated. He offered a weak smile. I love you, Izumi. She pulled him into a kiss. I love you, Itachi. Letting him go, he fell out the window. She stuck her head out just long enough to see his body dissipate into crows as they flew off in every direction. She didn't have the strength to smile, nor the strength to cry. She merely watched. In the distance, she noticed the Sharingan-bearing crow, Wotan, eyeing her, letting out a caw as it sat on the power lines. Its wings flared as it too fell from the line into flight. She would leave the room. Passing down into the children's ward, she stopped by Sasuke's room. He had not awakened since that night. Despite there being no real life-threatening wounds on him, he had yet to wake up. Doctors couldn't explain it, but Izumi could. Sasuke didn't want to wake up. He didn't want to live in a world where he had nobody. She would open the door gently and step into the room. Coming to his bedside, she put her hand on his and gently stroked it as she kissed his cheek. I'm here, Sasuke. You'll never be alone. 
She herself was young, only a few years older than Sasuke, but her promise was held and she fought for custody of the boy. Hiruzen decided it was best to let the two share an apartment. It was better than letting Sasuke live by himself, and from then on, she began to watch over him like an older sister. She would watch over him as she did chores, washed a few dishes from their lunch. She recalled that the first time she met Sasuke, Itachi let her hold him, but it wasn't a happy time that would last very long as she was quickly pushed away by the infant who wished to return to his brother's arms. In a way, she sensed that perhaps Sasuke still felt that way, but was unable to do anything. For a time, she would find him wandering the Uchiha compound. She always knew where to find him as he had a tendency to go back to the same place time and time again, his family's old home. The first day that he didn't come back from the academy, she panicked, but Wotan would land nearby and call out with its caw. Witnessing it, it would fly off in a certain direction and she would follow. Leading her to the Uchiha compound, she would find Sasuke in his old room, just curled up in the corner in the dark, only his single Tomoe Sharingan glowing in the night. He was confused, scared, unsure where he fit into the world, but still trying to understand his feelings. By Itachi's request, she didn't speak much about him, nor did she ever explain to Sasuke why Itachi did what he did, and slowly she saw him slipping into darkness. She saw his love for Itachi transform into a deep, burning hatred as a defense mechanism. That was the secret to an Uchiha. Everyone saw the Uchiha as these monsters on the battlefield, naturally gifted and cold. Not so. Well, I mean, it was so, but they were far from cold. They weren't inhuman killers who fed off of strife like the history books would portray. No, quite the opposite. The Uchiha were more human than anyone else. The Uchiha's hearts were always large and wide open. They loved so much. Their hearts were full of love to the point that when something earned their admiration, they'd be willing to give up everything, including their lives, to protect that thing. But when that thing was taken from them, when they lost their love, they'd be willing to kill to have it back, to slaughter if they couldn't have it back. As strongly as they loved, they hated with all the same strength. And this hate was not based in evil. This hate was the result of a shattered heart. Someone in so much pain that is spilled out in an ugly way. And right now, Sasuke was going through that. The curse of hatred seeds had been planted in his heart. And now, with enough time to let the pain sink in, that seed had budded into the beginnings of hatred. The older he grew, the more pronounced it became until the only things on his mind were either procreation or murder. His only goals in life were to kill the man who destroyed his clan and then remake his clan from the ground up. So many times she asked him, what's your dream after that? Should you ever complete that mission, what comes next? And his answers were nothing. Nothing came next, she assumed. His only goal in life was a goal based out of spite. She wondered if he could ever have any meaningful relationship with anyone. She began to think that maybe if he did, maybe if he found that meaningful relationship, he might drop that hatred and return to love. He might reject the Uchiha curse, but it seemed impossible. In the academy, Sasuke was the most popular boy in the entire class, and yet for all of his admirers and suitors, he rejected them, each and every one of them. Any advance was met with insult and indignation. To a point, he reminded her of Itachi, but not in a good way. He took it to extremes. Itachi was just shy and reserved. Sasuke was hateful and cruel. He didn't actively seek trouble, but when it came around, he made anyone who brought it regret ever approaching him. There was one boy in class that Sasuke seemed to hate the most. A young boy of the now defunct Uzumaki clan. That boy tested Sasuke the most, and to a point, Izumi wondered if this Naruto kid could be someone who could actually make it as Sasuke's friend. He wasn't afraid to tell Sasuke what he thought. Sasuke's nature did not intimidate him, and on the many occasions to which they fought, despite Sasuke being superior, Naruto could hold his own. She wondered if he could do it. If Naruto could be Sasuke's first friend. 
She hoped so. Sasuke needed someone in his life, and considering how the village treated this boy, considering his history and loss of parents, it was obvious that Naruto could sympathize. Still, despite everything, Sasuke ignored him. Sasuke rarely did anything outside of school. If he wasn't in school, he was at home. And if he wasn't at home, then he was at the compound. And if he wasn't at the compound sulking, then he was in the forest training. All these things he did alone. Even when he was home, he was alone. She would sit across from him at dinner and ask him about his day. His only response was a quick, fine, that he punched out there in an almost insulting way. As if his answer bore a hidden question within it, as if asking, what should you care? Or why should I have to tell you? It was growing unhealthy. She would try to talk about it with him, but he was uninterested in talking. And if she pushed the matter, it would only end in a shouting match. Him calling her annoying and her calling him a little ass and a twerp. It had never gotten physical to their credit, but if they had said to others what they said to each other, or if anyone else had said those things, there would have been blood. There were times that she grew tired of it and considered just telling Sasuke about Itachi, but a quick glimpse of Wotan's disapproving stare told her all she needed to know to keep quiet. She would not tell Sasuke, and in return, Sasuke would never change. Still, despite all of this, Izumi wasn't Sasuke's mother. She was merely there for moral support. She was still a shinobi, and her own future was still what came first. Sometimes, Time had passed and she already became a chunin. She had duties to fulfill. And while the Hokage wouldn't send her out of the village without notice, he would keep her busy in the village. She patrolled the area, watched the walls, kept the gate, and offered general assistance to anyone in the village who might need it. But on one day in particular, she had been called in by the Hokage for an urgent mission. Responding, she made it to the Hokage's residence just as the sun was getting low in the sky. She left Sasuke something in the fridge to eat and made her way out. She recalled passing him on the way out. She jumped from rooftop to rooftop, but there was no mistaking it. He, like many of his former clansmen, wore a dark shirt at all times with an Uchiha fan on the back, the namesake of their clan. He didn't notice her, but she did. As did Wotan, who broke off from her mid-flight and circled Sasuke, as if letting her know that he was watching over Sasuke. Certain her charge was safe, she made her way to the Hokage's residence, and they found Hiruzen pacing the floors. She arrived already on her knee before her afterimage caught up with her. Hiruzen would turn around to see her, and many other shinobi caught up. She looked up to the Hokage as he began to speak. Something I long feared has come to pass. Naruto has taken the scroll. Izumi, waiting for her turn to speak, and the okay from the Hokage, asked what it meant. Hiruzen would explain that Naruto was the current vessel of the nine-tailed fox that had sacked the village about 12 years earlier. This revelation was new to her. She recalled the Nine-Tails attack. She witnessed the death of her father over and over again in her mind, feeling the trauma creeping back up her as the Hokage spoke. This Naruto boy was the Nine-Tails? How could that be? The Hokage answered her question she had yet to even ask. There were no other choices at the time when the Ninetales attacked. To save the village, the Ninetales was sealed into an infant who now bears the full weight of that burden. Izumi was shocked, to say the least. She felt a burning hatred in her heart, knowing that the Ninetales had slaughtered so many, including her papa, a death she carried with her still, blamed herself over still. For a moment, her inner self asked why she should care what happens to Naruto, but quickly she caught herself when she remembered that Hiruzen had mentioned that it had been sealed into the infant to save the village. She realized Naruto was not a villain for harboring the Ninetales, he was a hero for imprisoning it. Having quickly sorted out how she should feel about this, she asked for more details on the mission. She asked what scroll he had stolen and what was so important about it. Hiruzen told her and the other assembled shinobi that Naruto had stolen the scroll of seals. There was almost an audible gasp. 
though she didn't recognize the name. Hiruzen explained for the non-Gaspers that this scroll was one of the most important artifacts left to them by Hashirama Senju, and that every Hokage save Minato Namakaze, whose term as Hokage was too short, had contributed to it in some fashion, but none had contributed to it as much as Tobirama Senju. He explained that the Scroll of Seals was a scroll that contained every Kinjutsu, that is to say, forbidden techniques, that had ever been discovered by Konoha. There were many types of Kinjutsu recorded there, ranging from Jutsu that were just too dangerous to perform, such as the Eighth Gate of Death, Multi-Shadow Clone Jutsu, and the Reaper Death Seal, to more inhumane ones, such as the Impure World Reincarnation Technique. He said that the scroll was barely dangerous to Naruto, who himself did not possess the aptitude to utilize any of the Jutsu within, but that he may become a target to those who would take the scroll for themselves, or sell the contents to other nations, thereby crippling many of the secret techniques of the village. He said that it was paramount to retrieve the scroll, and to that end, he sent them out after it. It was Izumi who would take the lead, as she possessed the Sharingan which she could utilize for tracking. She could see anything with it, so she began to lead the charge into finding him. As she did so, she stumbled across Irika Umino, who had taken a Fuma Shuriken to the back. He was in critical condition. She checked him over with her Sharingan. The Shuriken had missed his spine and had just barely missed his lung, so he would be fine but they needed to get him to the hospital fast as he was losing blood. One of her peers cursed Naruto, believing that he had hurt Irika. But Izumi stopped him and told him that the size of the weapon, in conjunction with the accuracy, was a bit too much to expect of a student who could not even pass the exams. Furthermore, the shuriken was in Irika's back, not his chest. If Irika confronted Naruto and Naruto had thrown the shuriken, it would have been somewhere in the front of his torso, not his back. This signified that there was someone else around, someone who was after Naruto too. Looking around with her Sharingan, she noticed that there was a depression in the grass about the size of a men's ten and a half shoe. She looked back. We have an enemy combatant in the area. Search for and seize both the scroll and Naruto. If you run into the enemy, lethal force is authorized to apprehend him. The other ninja asked how she knew it was a man, and she noted the size and shape of the boot print, as well as the depression it left behind. It indicated a man, about 5'10", with a weight of likely 140 to 150 pounds. Considering she saw things that they did not, they set out with their commands. She also looked around and witnessed smaller shoe imprints running from the scene. She decided to follow those. Looking up, she saw some more wear and stress on the tree limbs and knew that Shinobi must have gone that way. She followed after them herself. As they went, they saw a scene that astounded them. A single boy with what appeared to be close to a thousand shadow clones standing around the brutalized body of a single man. He learned multi-shadow clone, one of her peers said. She wasn't impressed by that though. Multi-shadow clone wasn't a kinjutsu because nobody could understand how to use it. It was a relatively simple jutsu of the same line as clone transformation. She was more impressed that it could be used on such a scale, but as they disappeared, she grew worried that Naruto had overused it. She jumped down along with her peers who took Mizuki into custody. She stepped in front of Naruto and looked him over, much to his surprise. He didn't look hurt, not too badly just a few minor scratches and bruises. His chakra levels were amazingly nowhere near empty. She seemed a little relieved. Was it because he was the Ninetales Jinchuriki? Or was it because he was merely the same age as Sasuke and her time spent raising the boy had made her develop motherly feelings? Either way, she reported in that she and her team had apprehended both Naruto and the enemy combatant and had seized the scroll. They returned to the Hokage's residence where she would be debriefed on everything she saw. After that, she was assured that the Hokage would deal with Naruto personally and allowed to return home. 
And that's where I plan on stopping this story for the evening. I hope you enjoyed this video because I enjoyed making it. There will obviously be another part coming soon and I hope you'll be there with me to see it. Be sure to let me know in the comments down below what your favorite part of the video was and if anything happened that you think should have changed. Let me know if you have any ideas of where you think this should go in the future and if you have more video ideas you want to see in the future, let us know too. Did you enjoy our video? Well then be sure to check out these other great videos from the Amagi and make sure to subscribe and ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos.